This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Self-Love Revolution, an inclusive well-being series in which experts, influencers, and professionals share their approaches to wellness and mental health. From self-care rituals to setting healthy boundaries to the practices that keep us going. Our Rooted Queen Forever Self-Love Revolution podcast will consist of bi-weekly stories told by real people in the midst of transforming their lives through small daily intentions. Whether it's making a huge change for the 20th time or choosing to believe in ourselves for the first, our intentions make all the difference. Welcome, my queens and kings. My name is Nichelle Mosley. And I'm Natasha. And I am honored for you to join me for the Self-Love Revolution podcast, a podcast dedicated to you. Before we get started, we want to give you an opportunity to tune into yourself. Now that you've made the time to be here with us, take a minute to be here for you. We're going to invite you to breathe. If you're in a place where you can close your eyes, go ahead and do that. If you're driving or doing something where you're not able to close your eyes, that's okay. You can still breathe with us. Go ahead and take one deep, slow breath. Focus on expanding your belly. Focus on keeping your shoulders relaxed. Once you've got enough air, go ahead and let it out really slowly. And try to see if you can let go of anything that's causing you stress right now. We're going to go ahead and take another deep breath. This time as you breathe in, imagine that you're being filled up with energy and vitality. And as you let go, let go of anything that feels like it's bringing you down. As you let go, see if you can understand where you're holding tension in your body. And imagine that as you exhale, that tension is leaving your body as well. Now let's take one last breath. And remember, try to bring air into your belly and keep your shoulders relaxed. As you let go this time, imagine that your body is like melting butter and just relax into that exhale. See if you can feel your body melting as well. Notice if you feel any pleasant tingling or warm sensation or anything in your body that feels really good. And I hope that if you feel good right now, you can take that with you through the rest of your day. Now let's get into it. 
Hey everyone, this is Michelle and Natasha. And we just came on to talk to you about Rooted Queen Forever, which is our podcast. Um, It is a self-love revolution. And today, one of our topics is a little bit of a trigger warning. So I kind of just want to take a beat and um, have everybody just kind of understand that this episode is going to be a little bit more personable, a little bit more intimate. And if grief and loss is something that is a trigger for you, you might want to listen to it at a later time when you are, you know, have the space and the mindset to just be in a place where you're ready to receive resources and just, you know, everyday real life advice from people who have experienced real loss and someone who really just wants to, you know, help you along in your journey through life because we all need you know that that partnership and that companionship when it comes to the things that we lose and you know can't really get back we you know that community is makes all the difference is what I'm really trying to say so in this episode we explore hurt loss and grief we have all collectively experienced this this past year we acknowledge it so that we can heal it we learn how to create a healthy relationship to rest healing the effects of burnout, and also any type of resentment that might bubble up from the things that you experience when it comes to loss and grief. So Natasha, I just kind of want to talk to you about that. You know, there's so many different types of grief, I feel like, when it comes to the things that we experience in life. You know, there is the potential of loss of pets and people that we love. Divorce is a form of grief and miscarriages, loss. miscarriage, you know, family, extended family, you know, just really honestly from this past year, from what we've experienced when it comes to COVID and, and the normalization that we've all, you know, lost. Yeah. Like and, the loss of ru- routine, the loss of things as we know yeah. them, not the rupture of relationships, but a lot of people couldn't pursue their relationships with their family and other loved ones as they knew it. Right. And I think about, you know, the things that we, we have to experience in order to be prepared for loss. You know, I, I experienced loss at a very early age. I lost my dad when I was about 12 years old and it was something that affected me, you know, still to this day, you know, he was a huge influence on my life and to just not have him be here for milestones and, you know, these big dreams that I have is it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And, um, you know, I don't ever feel like you just get over, you know, the loss of someone that you love that much. I feel like it's just a very linear type of experience and the best way that you can really, you know, just honor that is, you know, with the rituals that we do normally surrounding grief, you know, that we honor the dead by. And you think about, you know, COVID and how we have not even been able to experience and have that. So it's really traumatic. Is there anything that you have done, you know, just in the experience of, of, you know, loss? So first of all, I just want to take a moment and say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry that you lost your dad at such a young age. I, I can't even begin to 
know or understand what that experience is like for you, but I imagine it must've been really difficult, especially at that age is an age where, like you say, you're, you're going through, you know, you're coming of age, you're going through, you're becoming a woman, you're trying to navigate life as a little human being that is trying to become independent and figure out who they are in the world. You know, the presence of both your parents, I think is really important for me. When I was around that age, I didn't have anybody pass away, but my parents got a divorce and my mom left. So in a way I maybe can sort of understand that bit of grief or just that need for, for the missing parent to be there in a time that's more, most crucial. And I think it affected me um, deeply in a lot of ways. So I can appreciate that it has affected you deeply as well. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about how you navigated that as a 12 year old, but also want to share that I recently lost my mom. I think COVID was a part of it. And this December will be a year that she's been gone. So it was December, 2021 that she passed away. I miss her deeply, but there's a lot of layers to the grief that I experience. And one of them is my mom had dementia and she had a stroke. So the person that I knew to be my mom was gone, like probably a year before she actually passed away. And I didn't realize it until after she died that I had been grieving while she was still alive. And that's something that I like kind of didn't understand, didn't know that it was affecting me. But when I, when I came to understand that piece, I think it made it easier for me to let go when she actually passed away. It's never easy. Right. But I had already been going through this process that by the time she actually passed away, it didn't hurt as much because I had experienced so much pain the year before and had tried to figure out what my life looks like without my mom, because she was the person that I could be the most vulnerable with in my entire life. She was the person that I could tell anything to that could help me problem solve things that maybe friends or other loved ones in my life couldn't help me understand. So, and I'm, I'm, I, I promise you, I'm going to tell you some things that I've tried since she's passed away. Cause I think that I'm still exploring I'm still exploring how, how to grieve and, and how to kind of process the situation that my mom is no longer here. But my mom was a lady who would always say, I would, when I was a little girl, I would tell her mom, like, please don't, don't leave me too soon because I always felt like I don't, I don't know what I would do without her. And she would say, honey, don't worry. I'm going to be here a long, long time. And she said, I'm not. I am not going to die. I'm, I'm going to consciously transcend into the next dimension. Just, just to tell you a little bit of, about who my mom was. Um, yeah, she was um, that person who might be labeled new agey or woo woo, but that was just her. When she finally passed away, I felt like she made that decision to go. Like there was, there's nothing that I can explain, but I just think intuitive intuitively, it felt to me like she chose to leave. She chose to let go. She chose to no longer be in the situation that she was in. 
And since then, I feel like she's still present with me in a lot of ways. And I've been exploring that a little bit. It's almost like I'm having a different relationship with her. It's almost like I'm connecting to her, but not in a physical way. And that that's how it's supposed to be. I I don't quite understand it myself. So I don't know if I'm making sense. That makes absolute sense to me. I mean, honestly, it's, I feel like it's just a different way that you experience your parents. And um, I don't know how you feel about, you know, reincarnation or anything like that. You know, we can get into that if you would like to, but my thoughts are that when you are someone who is like who your mom was that just, you know, force of a woman, she was just really someone that, like you said, I, who had the ability to make the decision. And, and when you do that, then your relationship doesn't really go away. It just is different. And you can recognize that and really still honor her. And that's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. And I, and I do think that maybe she kind of laid the foundation for me to be able to think that I have this relationship with her on a spiritual level, but for someone who maybe didn't grow up with a lot of spirituality or ritual in their life, it could be a little bit more difficult to understand that possibility or that concept. And again, I don't know what that experience is like, but there are a lot of people that believe that they can sense their loved ones in some way or have had experiences that their loved ones are trying to reach out to them from the spiritual world or whatever you want to call it. So it's just interesting. I think I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like for me, but I know that you said something about ritual being important. And this last year I created an altar for the day of the dead, which is something that I've never done before. And it's not my tradition. This is a um, Mexican heritage tradition and I'm not Mexican, but I grew up in California. So I feel like (laughs) I'm kind of allowed to practice this, especially a lot of people in my community are, are, are doing that. And I decided maybe this, let me see what this feels like to, to try this. Well, you can claim your Colombiana roots. It's okay. (laughs) I I can, but I can, you're right. But we actually, I don't think that people actually do that in Colombia. They do different things, but um, you know, my, my, by my mom's marriage, that side of the family, um, her husband are Mexican. So you know, it's not something that I'm a stranger to that. I'm just like, Oh, this looks like a cute idea. Let me try this. I just wanted to see what that experience was like. And it just felt, it felt like a good idea. Like, okay. Like it wasn't even like, I'm going to honor you and grieve you today for these two or three days. I think it's like from November or August, October 31st to November 2nd. It felt like I'm, they're going to come visit me. Like, they're coming over for a visit, the people that I love that are passed away. And I have to make them some really nice coffee and I'm going to get my mom's favorite, you know, treats and my grandma like these cookies and let's put up their pictures. It kind of just felt like I was having them come over for a visit and it, and it wasn't going to be forever. It was just going to be for a couple days. And I mean, there's something about that that was so special and it was so nurturing, I guess, in a way to know that I could be with them and have happy feelings as if they were there 
instead of think about the times or think about the, that they're no longer here and be sad about it, if that makes sense. And I really enjoyed that. And I felt like that was really healing to be able to do that. And I understand why that's a tradition, just really nice. Like, okay, for these three days, every, you can be sad, but you know, you can, you're going to look forward to those three days every year where your, your, your deceased loved ones come over for a visit, whether they spiritually do or not. But I felt like they were really there. I feel like they were really there maybe for like a day or two. And then kind of like that. I don't know. I had this feeling like, okay, they're, yeah, they're okay. They're not here anymore. Um, I think I left my, my altar up for like a week, um, which is like beyond the tradition, (laughs) but yeah, uh, that was something really special for me. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that with us because, you know, that is, I feel like a great way to, to be able to connect with your loved ones and, you know, those traditions are important. I, f- I feel like those rituals, they're, they're something that really help to not only honor the dead, but also, do you remember when we used to dance and we used yeah. to have at the end of our dance classes in ballet was like a reverence. We would do the reverence. And oh, yeah. do you remember that? Yes. Yes. So that's just what that reminded me of, of just like your, you know, how you are holding reverence for the people that you love. And I think that that is just so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Super dope. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you. Like, have you ever felt uh, the presence of your father? Have you ever had any experience that made you think he's still with me in some way, or he wants to send me a message or just any ritual that you did to not make you feel so sad, even going back to when you were 12 years old, like, what was that like for you? I will say, you know, from the beginning, just so the audience knows, I grew up in a very strict religious home. And so that certainly carried over to when my dad passed away. You know, I always kind of was just under the impression that I would see him again in heaven. Um, you know, and I, I have always, you know, kind of aligned myself with being a spiritual person. So I really do deep down believe those things, you know, even though it was strict and <laughs> something that I did have to develop later on in life was a real relationship, you know, with the God that I serve. It was something that, you know, in the moment was a little bit traumatizing because, uh, you know, hearing that your dad is not going to ever be here on earth again but you have to be a certain way in order to see him again in heaven was kind of like, wait, what, (laughs) you know? So at 12 years old, that was really hard to process. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm certain that I, I didn't really connect and I, I did disassociate a little bit in the moment of things, but like you, I did have the experience of my dad being sick. So he was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. He was a longtime smoker. He developed emphysema and was in and out of the hospital with pneumonia lots of times. And he was really suffering. So, you know, having the experience of seeing the person that you really are just like rooting for the most, who you love the most in the world, you know, go through that. 
even at such a young age, I always was still really sad that to see him go through those things, you know what I mean? So I was always very, very aware of him not wanting to be in pain. And although I didn't have like the words or the language, you know, I would say at the age that I am now, I was more, more so relieved when he passed away because of the amount of suffering that I witnessed, you know, him go through um, when it came to, you know, having to be incubated and through going through different trials with when it comes to like medication and pills and those types of things and, and still, and still smoking, you know, because it was very addictive. You know, he was addicted to lucky strikes, which I hear are like the, the worst type of cigarettes because they don't have filters. So it makes it very, very potent. But yeah, so he was one of the people who was who was affected by, you know, the tobacco industry and at a very young age started to smoke. He definitely suffered in the end. And um, I didn't want to see him go through those things. And I have experienced, you know, several other family members who have passed. Um, actually, recently, within the last couple of days, I had a cousin that passed away who's one of my favorite cousins. (sighs) I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. I'm just finding out now. Yeah. Little D was a, such an old soul, such an amazing person. And his passing was something that, you know, really was very shocking. You know, just losing him was just a huge like reminder of just how fleeting you know, this is, we have to develop some sort of coping mechanisms, some sort of, you know, ways that we can prepare ourselves, you know, for the grieving process, because we all have to experience it. You know, what are some things that you have done that you would say have helped you with um, processing your grief and, and trying to get, you know, to a place we talked about it not being a linear situation. So, you know, it it comes and goes and it feels like it's in waves. You know, I, like you have lost a couple family members um, to COVID just when it's compiled, I feel like with multiple people, you don't really have the opportunity to fully grieve. Um, So it can lead to a burnout. I feel like when it comes to, you know, like your ability to, you know, like, take on, um, you know, those emotions. Is there anything that you can kind of like, you know, talk about or speak to that you do? Well, I haven't had that experience of having multiple people, you know, lose of losing multiple people within a short amount of time, Mm -hmm. you know, thank God for that. But, um, I know some other people who are sort of facing that situation. And I mean, I can't even imagine, but I understand that sort of burnout. Like it's just so, it's probably so overwhelming and so much to process at once that you probably just shut down. Um, because you, I, I would imagine, at least I think in my experience, it would probably make me go just completely numb because I would be wanting to protect myself to not feel anything because it's just so overwhelming. You don't even know what to do with so much of that, it kind of makes me think of times before when people didn't live as long as they do today. It would be interesting to talk to somebody who, you know, grew up in like the 1800s, right? They're probably not not around right now, but um, 
but it would be interesting to understand what their beliefs about death and grief, because I imagine it would have been very different, especially when there were so many um, more deaths linked to childbirth, you know, more, the, the, the incidences of women dying in childbirth was pretty high. There were more diseases that they didn't have cures or, you know, protection for. Um, so there was people, you know, I don't know the exact facts, but I think people didn't live very long. Like they, you know, if they made it to 50 or 60, like, they did really good in their life. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm wondering if people um, thought of death differently, if it was more of an accepted way of life, or if it just hurt the same, or if people had developed a certain numbness to, to, to losing people because it just happened so frequently. Right. It's hard to say like, what would be a good thing to manage that? But I, what I'm thinking about right now is the things that people say to you when you've lost a loved one. I think that people mean well. I also see how people don't want to feel the discomfort. They don't want to sit with you in that pain. I think it's very difficult for other people to just be open to the pain that you're experiencing and meet you where you are. It's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. People want to, you know, make you feel good, but they can't because you lost someone. So they know that nothing they say is going to make you feel good. So they do the best that they can to give you some sort of phrase that they think is going to give you comfort and they can tie it up in a nice bow and package and send you on their way so that they don't feel terrible. And they hope that you feel a little bit less terrible, but what ends up happening is some of those phrases that they say are like the worst, like Mm -hmm. One of, I, maybe you can help me out here, but one of those things that people have told me, like after my mom died was don't worry, honey, she's in a better place. And I'm like, was, you don't know that we don't yeah. know where she went. That was the exact one that I was actually going to use. So <laughs> I've, I've experienced this, you know, and I feel like that we do sometimes have to be a little bit more careful about who we have hold space for us. You know, we can't be as vulnerable. I know that I'm a highly sensitive person and so are you. So sometimes like, you know, that stuff just kind of comes out, but at the same time, like I, I, I don't have the ability to, you know, talk to everyone the same because of the way that I'm going to process it. You know what I mean? So I have to be a little bit more diplomatic when it comes to who I really am that vulnerable with, because it's something that, like you said, can really kind of re-traumatize you in the situation. You know, like you don't know where she is and you know, to say that, or I know exactly what you're going through, you know, like, oh, I lost whoever or whatever, you know, when you're able to just help the person by listening to their story and, you know, asking them if they are someone who is open to, you know, feedback or advice about what it is they're going through, or is it something that they just need an is- a listening ear for, you know, just be a person who is a little bit more conscientious, especially around surrounding different topics when it comes to grief, because I feel like sometimes people can, you know, get the misidea about, you know, what is worthy of grieving and what isn't, you know, so there's something that's called uh, disenfranchised grief, 
And that's something that I experienced in addition to having multiple people um, pass away at, at one time. Can you um, explain a little bit what disenchan- disenfranchised grief is? Yeah, so it's something that is considered not a mainstream type of grief, you know, so something that, um, you know, isn't necessarily like a visible thing, tangible. Oh, not um, linked to a death or anything like that, like a different. Right. Yeah, exactly. So for example, my, my grief that I experienced was the loss of a, a house, a property that I was um, in, you know, really working so hard to achieve. And um, that's, you know, one of the things that I have to work on, you know, in therapy um, is, you know, not trying to have an identity when it comes to my accolades and achievements. I will share that that was a very dark time when I lost that property. And it's a very long story that we'll have to get into at another time. That was um, someone who scammed us um, out of a lakefront property. Um, That was going to be like my dream house where I hoped to start a family and to, you know, to really expand my business and kind of, you know, be more connected when it comes to a community. So there was a lot of things that were wrapped up into that particular dream. Long story short, We were scammed out of a two-year contract. So yes, lots and lots of money did go into that situation. And at the last moment, um, we lost everything, even down to the due diligence. Um, And it was, it was devastating, you know, because I just, I really had so much, so, so much that was wrapped up when it came to my future plans there. And I really was in a bad funk and I really did not know how to get out of it. I didn't know, you know, the coping skills, the things that I did before that really kind of helped me to kind of stay in a positive mindset and be more optimistic. They just, they didn't work. I was like, you know, really just kind of wallowing in my my shame because, you know, there was a lot of shame that was wrapped up into it. I started to really second guess my decisions and the things that I were doing in my personal life. And that kind of spilled over into my business. It was really hard to navigate. It really was because I've always considered myself a person who is uh, very intuitive and um, who can trust, you know, their decisions and, you know, was really conscientious and, you know, doesn't do things fly by night. You know, I'm, I'm really a person who is very thoughtful when it comes to the things that I do and the things that I say, I put a lot of, of, you know, just concern behind it. I'm an overthinker. (laughs) I I mean, I definitely can relate to that. I actually have a shirt that says, excuse me while I overthink this. And I wear it proudly (laughs) because I do. Yeah. I can understand that is a very important part of grief that a lot of people don't consider. They might just say something went wrong, but you were experiencing the loss of your dream. And that's a really profound type of grief that I think a lot of people go through, but they may not necessarily see it as they're grieving the loss of a dream or the loss of their future plans. They might just think of it as failure. And so it feels even that much more worse because as you say, there is a lot of shame that comes with that. You know, you had envisioned this, this, you'd envisioned your life, your, your family, your, I can, I know you, I can imagine you may have very well made a vision board. I don't know. Um, (laughs) 
Absolutely. You had all these hopes and expectations. And again, we've mentioned this before, but you and I are people that we set our minds to do something. And many times in our life, we have achieved it. So it doesn't occur to you that this may not happen because you, I think you and I both, when, when we have a goal, we have this sense of knowing like, of course it's going to happen. Like there's no other way it can't not happen. Like this will come to fruition. So when it doesn't, you think, was I wrong? I'm a failure. I got bamboozled. You know, you, you probably, I hope this doesn't sound offensive, but you probably felt like an idiot because you put your trust in this person who I don't know what they told you, but you know, you, and then you doubt yourself, you doubt your intuitive power. You know, I think you mentioned that and, and you start to doubt whether you're a person who's capable of achieving those things that you thought that you were going to achieve. And, and you, and you question whether you can make good decisions in the future because you you know, you kind of, you're like, dang, I really messed up on this one. Like, what does this say about me? So I think there's a lot of things in that, in that experience that can make it really hard to process. And it really rocked my confidence. And, you know, I definitely went through realtors, you know, like it was all on the up and up. There was a contract sign. There was just something that was left out, which was a loophole that they definitely exploited. And my lawyer, you know, they also represented them in something else. So they could not represent me in this new situation. So I had to go to someone else. And basically I just, you know, was trying not to get a default on my eventual overall construction loan that I was trying to have. Oh um, gosh, but there's all of those. Yeah. So too. it was, there was so many, so many things, so many, you know, just ins and outs that, you know, we definitely covered all of our I's and dotted our T's, but there's just sometimes where people are looking for an opportunity, you know, they're opportunistic when it comes to, you know, looking to do horrible things to people. And although, you know, like we had these plans, um, when it comes to that in our personal life, it really did rock my confidence. It rocked my ability to make decisions when it comes to not only just like things in life, but also, you know, like things in business. I will say that um, on a positive note, though, that business is doing great. And I was able to overcome a lot of things, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, getting my confidence back, trying to be the face of my business again. And, you know, there were several things that I did as far as like hypnosis and, um, you know, definitely like a deeper type of meditation, of course, therapy, which I talked about before, all of those things definitely helped me to get to a better place. But I will say, you know, the, the traditional things that I did before, you know, like more self-care and, you know, journaling and home meditation that wasn't necessarily as on the deeper level that I'm doing now. Those things were just things that, you know, didn't cut it before. So remember that, remember that there are maybe other things that you should explore. If you are someone who is experiencing grief and you are in a rut and you can't really, you know, get yourself out of it. Think about, things outside of the box, you know, some, something that would be uh, of encouragement that isn't necessarily what you've done in the past. I've considered going on like a women's retreat, um, (laughs) which is not something that I would ever do because I'm very introverted. (laughs) Yes. Strangers. No, (laughs) no, thank you. 
that doesn't sound like a fun thing for me, but I am really considering it because I want to, you know, build a community and I want it to be around, you know, something that is positive and uh, that's a better resource than, you know, how I've been expressing my grief currently or, you know, in the past, if I, if I need to do something differently is, is what I'm really meaning is, you know, just keeping my options open and my, and my heart open as well. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I hope you do go on that woman's retreat. I wish I could go with you. I think it would be better if you had a buddy. <laughs> you're right. It, you're absolutely right. I'm going to send you the information just because you said that, because that means all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also want to talk, I mean, doing the work ourselves to get through grief is one piece of it. But I think that the support that we have from our loved ones in our community is really important. And one of the things that I see happen a lot is whenever somebody first finds out that you've lost someone, like you've got everybody at your beck and call, everybody is like, do you need me to do anything for you? Let me make you some food. Like everybody's there. Right. But I feel like in that moment, the person grieving is so disconnected that they probably aren't able to appreciate all that help, but they need it there because they are not going to be functional. If the, if the grief was like, so impacting, like, you know, with you and me, we lost parents, but it was something that we kind of knew was going to happen soon or eventually, but a shocking type of loss, like, you know, for example, if someone that you love commits suicide, let's say something that you never expect, that's going to just like, you know, break you down to the point that you may not even be able to take a shower. So you need those people there to help. But what happens is that after a period of time, you're still grieving, but those people that were there at the beginning are not there anymore. Cause they're like, I mean, I don't know what goes on through their head. I can't speak for them, but I imagine it's like, okay, well I was there, I did the thing. And then they go on with their life and they may sort of forget about you or may remember you from time to time. But I propose that if you have anybody in your life that is grieving a shocking death, like maybe, you know, they've lost a loved one from COVID, like check in with them a few months after, like, but really check in with them, like make them a meal, check in on them, make sure they're taking a shower and getting out of bed. Because I, I think that at the beginning, you're in shock and you, there's nothing that you can do to process. You're still trying to like realize that this has actually happened and that the pain actually comes several months later after the loss. And that's when you really, really need people to support you and and people to reach reach out to person grieving may not necessarily know how to ask for help. Um, You know, one thing I want to speak to is that sometimes I think that people don't necessarily forget about you. I think that they sometimes will be afraid to bring it up. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how to approach the conversation. So sometimes like they feel like it's a taboo topic. Like, you know, do you want to talk about, you know, the loss of your son, the loss of your child, the loss of, you know, your pet? I mean, sometimes it's too, too painful to, you know, to speak to in those moments. And so I feel like sometimes, you know, people just need to have some prompting on how to bridge the gap. And like you mentioned, starting a food train, you know, just staying connected, you know, making sure that after the initial, you know, couple months that you're someone who checks in at the like six to eight month mark, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that they're still reeling at that point. 
and still needing support and still needing, you know, the resource of, of having community. And I really think that that's a good point that you made. Yeah. Yeah. And I think grief is something that's tricky for me because I am one of those people who also always wants to make the other person feel better, but I know that I can't. And I know that nothing I say is going to be comforting. So it's like, what do I say? And I, I try to be really intentional with my thoughts and words when I come across somebody who has lost somebody. But from what what I've heard from other people, I think some of the things that are useful is I think being too careful, um, being too careful is bad either. Um, I have a history of trying to be too careful and just digging myself a deeper hole as I go and keep sticking my foot down my throat. And I'm like, oh, that didn't work. So I think that really being natural and not trying so hard to like say the right thing or to say like the, you know, perfect hallmark thing is really good. (laughs) Just like ease into it. Like, or maybe just, you know, call the person and say like, Hey, you want to go out tonight? Like just act normal, basically just act normal and, 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 and give them the experience of normality. And in that just normal friendship that you're offering them, they will be able to maybe find their moment where they want to talk about it. I think that's really important. Another thing that I've learned is probably saying, how are you doing is not great because they might be like, you know, F you, like, how do you, how do you think I'm doing? So I know I've tried to tell, ask people, like, I say something like, how are you, how are you hanging in there? Or that's not, that's not right either. doesn't feel right. But something along those lines, like, oh, how are you holding up? How are you holding up? Because that seems more accurate. You know, they're not doing well, but they've got Mm -hmm. to hold themselves up to function through life. So maybe a better question is, you know, (laughs) how are you holding up? Or sometimes, and I think I've asked you this before is I've messaged you and I've said like, how are you doing today on a scale of one to 10? You know, one being like your shit, you're doing shit (laughs) and 10 (laughs) being like, you're doing amazing. And then that Mm -hmm. also gives me insight to where they're at, at that moment. Like if they're like, I'm at a two today, I'm operating at a two. Okay, great. They're like in a really low place. I can understand how to approach them from here. They're my friend. I kind of know what their needs are and I can go in with them like them with a uh, better strategy of how to help them. Those are just kind of like my little pieces of how I try to approach people with grief and how I feel like it, I would want them to approach me if I was in that position as well. Yeah. One thing I can add is one question I've started to uh, ask, you know, some family members who've experienced the grief along with me is, you know, how, how many spoons are you able to balance today? Or, you know, yeah, the spoons analogy. Can you tell me, say a little bit more about that? Because I don't think that a lot of people know about the spoons. Well, you're the side, you have this. Okay. No, ma'am. So this is something that is totally your area. I'll let you take the lead on that. (laughs) But uh, okay. So I actually don't know all the details. I just know because somebody else I know practices the spoons and we talk about it a lot in our little group. We're like, I've only got this many spoons today, but, and you can look it up like the spoons analogy in case I got it wrong, but something along the lines of maybe you get, you get 10 spoons to make it through your day. And each time something happens that is like, you can't handle it. You, you lose a spoon, like you dropped your spoon. 
Am I, am I, am I right so far? Okay. Totally on track. You lose a spoon. And so there are some people who lose all their spoons like every day. Right. And some people who are managed to hold on to their spoons like throughout the rest of the day. And that's like a really good day, but it's an indicator of where you are mentally, spiritually, and emotionally to be able to do things like set boundaries, um, talk to people overall function. Right. And so if you know that you've dropped like nine spoons and you've got this one last spoon, I mean, first of all, that's really good self-awareness to know where you're at as an individual and what else you can handle that day. So if you have that one spoon left, you know, okay, if that, if this friend calls you that one friend who always has a crisis in their life or whatever, you're like, I got one spoon left. I'm not going to give it to that person. So I'm just not going to take this call right now. Or, you know what? I got one spoon left tonight. We're going to bed early. Or, okay, you know what, I got one spoon left tonight, we're ordering dinner and somebody else is putting the kids to bed, or they're going to put themselves to bed, or they're going to go in the room with their flashlight and shut the door. And I don't care what time they go to sleep, but they're not going to bother me for the rest of the evening. And I'm making that a rule. (laughs) So that's it. But when you've lost all your spoons, like, like you need, you need to like really uh, give yourself margin. Yeah. Yeah. And yourself margin margin, give yourself margin. Yeah. Give yourself margin because, you know, like you said, I feel like when you are someone who, you know, has something like grief or, um, an issue when it comes to loss, those things are invisible. So they're not, you know, like an actual outward tangible thing that people can see that you're experiencing. So you could very well be losing all your spoons and no one knows. And so, like you said, having those boundaries being, you know, someone who doesn't have no room within the overwhelm. So it helps what spoons do is it helps to help you gauge the overwhelm, the overwhelm of your life. And if you have nothing left to be able to manage, you know, your everyday life, then you have to give yourself more margin you have to give yourself, you know, more grace and um, more self-care, more love, more compassion. Those things are things that, you know, are in alignment with, you know, being good to yourself and knowing that you, you need, you know, the space and the time to process what you're going through. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for filling that in. And, and again, like the spoons analogy, it's actually a practice of awareness because I think a lot of times we're not even aware, like what we need. And that's when we put ourselves in the danger zone where we can have like an ultimate breakdown or things can really go awry and we may feel like we can never get out of it. So the first step of any, um, type of grief is understanding where you are that day and having a really good awareness of how much you're you're able to handle day by day. Once you start practicing that over time, you won't need to think about how many spoons you have because you'll be able to just sense in yourself, like I'm at this level today and this is what I need, but it takes, I mean, I don't know how long it takes each individual to practice. I don't think I count spoons anymore, but I know for me, at least I've created this awareness that at the end of the day, I've lost most of the spoons, but I still have things to do like make dinner and interact with my family, 
you know, get through the rest of the day and maybe do some more work in the evening. And, but I already know that the, that the end of the day, I'm pretty spent. And so I have to check in with myself at that moment and say, what is it? Can you hand that you can handle right now? Can you, can you make dinner or do you need to hide out in your room for the rest of the evening. I love that. So I think that, um, you know, we've covered a lot of things in this particular episode. Is there anything else that you would like to add when it comes to, you know, just things uh, as far as like resources or things that we can talk about when it comes to other support or education um, to just, you know, comprehend how complicated grief and loss can be. I just want to touch real quickly and because I think a, a lot of people may have heard the theory of the five stages of grief, which the five stages of grief are, it's supposed to be first you're in denial, then you experience anger, then there's bargaining, then there's depression, and then there's acceptance. But as you've said before, grieving is not a linear process. And I also want to say that I don't think the five stages of grief is a linear process either. I don't think that anybody goes through all five of them at once. I think you kind of like toggle in between them until maybe ultimately you get to the stage of acceptance, but you're even after you reach that stage, you can still kind of flow back and forth through them, but maybe at a lower intensity. So if anybody is Googling out there how to get through grief and finds the five stages of grief. Know that if you didn't, you know, get through all five in, in like a linear way that it's not, it's, I don't think it's meant to be that way and you're doing okay. Absolutely agree. Thank you so much, Natasha. I'm excited that we had a chance to have this conversation. I do feel like it's very necessary and needed. And thank you so much for being so candid with your your stories. And you too. um, Thank you so much for, for sharing your experience and for being candid as well. Stay rooted. Stay grounded. And always always come come home home to yourself. yourself.